UBC's chapter of Saikai acknowledges that it operates on UBC's infrastructure, which is located on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Musqueam people. Please appreciate the meaning behind the statement as we move forward with the Labyrinth podcast. Hello everyone, my name is Ananya and I am the Executive Coordinator for UBC's Chapter of Psychi, the International Honor Society in Psychology. We are back today with another insightful episode on the labyrinth. I sincerely hope you appreciated the pun in our name there. Today, we are speaking with the UBC's Vision Lab, honored to welcome Principal Investigator Dr. Enns, Postdoc Fellow Dr. Veronica, graduate students Ms. Manlu and Mr. Raymond, and lab technician, Mr. Jamie. How's everybody doing today? Fantastic. Thanks for having us. Great. Awesome. It's so lovely to have the entire team here today. To start off, I would like to invite Dr. Enns to give us a big picture snapshot of what the Vision Lab is. Okay, so um, by the sound of our name, Vision Lab, you can probably appreciate that we study human perception and attention. Uh, we tend to focus on vision, but uh, we're interested in the, in the broad topic. So attention's the selective process that uh, we use to process some information. And of course, that means we neglect other information. And as you can imagine, there are many factors that guide our selectivity. Uh, some of these factors we're born with. Some we have reflexes that determine what we're going to attend to. Some are, are developed as habits. We, we learn them over time. Um, some are temporary, like when we're hungry. And uh, others are very personal, like uh, the autistic interest for some individuals in trains. So in our lab, we study all of these factors in one way or the other. And uh, different people in the lab study different aspects of um, selectivity. So ranging from the, the postdoc to graduate students to the undergrads, directed study students. Awesome, that sounds exciting. I'm intrigued to hear a little bit more about your history. What motivated your field of study and how did the Vision Lab come about? Uh, I was probably a fairly typical undergrad uh, interested in visual perception. Mm -hmm. And uh, from there into illusions and uh, magic. And they all interested me when I was an undergrad. And I, it, you know, it kind of, uh, I was dumbfounded when I found there was a career path where you could actually study these things for the rest of my life. And so I was hooked. I mean, uh, magic in particular really interests me and not maybe for the reasons you think. Uh, when we experience magic, most of us don't go, hmm, I wonder why my visual system, my perceptual system failed. Instead, we think, how did they do that? And what our mind works at how we were fooled rather than how our perception works. So if you're a perception uh, sort of aficionado, you're interested in that first question. And that's, that's what got me hooked. Cool. So speaking of, I wanted to know a little bit about the extent of involvement for our beloved undergraduate students here at UBC. So in, in a normal year, so we'll pretend COVID doesn't exist for the moment. Um, we have 10, 12 or 15 undergrads that are involved in different aspects of research. And these include uh, honor students, directed study students, cognitive system students, students who won summer awards, uh, people who just walked through the door and wanted to volunteer to paid undergraduate research assistants. And each one of these um, students is typically assigned to a different project, the different project leader 
of these leaders being one of the grad students or the postdocs. Right. Okay, so that's a big bunch of people to manage, but it's, it's just good to hear that there's these many opportunities available for our students here. Um, just in the same note, can you please elaborate on the kinds of duties that student researchers at your lab tend to typically perform? Well, probably the, the bulk of the work involves testing human study participants. Um, you know, we have a lab where we measure different aspects of performance. Um, from pressing buttons to um, video cameras uh, to limb trackers. And so all of that involves um, bringing a student in, interviewing them, um, issuing informed consent, debriefing. Um, some students are also involved in literature reviews and making summary presentations to lab meetings. Uh, but by and large, the bulk of the work has to do with testing, you know, gathering the data, testing human study participants. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Next up, I have a little bit of a burning question, and um, let's have Veronica, um, Raymond, and Jamie answer this one. So for students with no prior lab experience, what are attributes you look for in their resumes that could leverage their chances of becoming research assistants? Yeah, right. That's a great question. And um, it's very often that uh, uh, students will try to get involved with researcher research without any previous experience. We all have to start somewhere. Um, so I'd say, first of all, in addition to a resume, it's always a good idea when you're applying to a research position to include your, your unofficial transcript along with your resume. Um, strong grades can definitely go a long way in demonstrating a student's potential for success in a research environment. Of course, this isn't, isn't the only consideration, but a student's academic record can provide insight into their level of conscientiousness and their work ethic. Um, in addition to that, extracurricular activities that show strong social skills can also go a long way as well, because the, the cases that most students starting out in research without any previous experience will often um, begin by helping out to run study participants. And so, demonstrated confidence and having social tact is a big component of doing this well. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Raven. Dr. Veronica, would you like us, would you like to give us your insight? I, I would add that research unrelated experience is uh, sometimes very valuable, especially uh, clinical, subclinical in psychology, like working at a crisis center or having experience with children with special needs, for example, for my project specifically is very valuable. So at least any experience you have in not necessarily research settings. Awesome. And can I have Mr. Jamie tackle this one too? Yeah, so I would just add, um, I think that computer skills are definitely important uh, for research positions. Um, we use computers in every level of our research. And so just uh, tasks such as keeping file folders organized, um, using programs like Excel or Google Sheets and also, mostly we, we work on Windows, so being familiar with Windows, um, these are all really important skills. You can get them from a lot of places. I know in university, it's often kind of assumed that you'll pick it up, but um, at least being clear about that, uh, your level of computer comfortable, uh, like on your resume, would, would do a lot to help uh, us feel confident in working with an RA. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thankfully, that is 
a lot of other options that we can use to make our resumes robust. And so I bet most of our listeners today would be a little bit relieved to hear that having no past lab experience is not always the be all end all. On a similar note, can I now have the Vision Lab tell me about the key qualities that you think sets about students who are successful undergraduate research assistants? For this question, can I have Dr. Ams, Ms. Manlu, and Mr. Jamie, please? Um, I would point to two things. One is um, curiosity. Uh, we're looking for people who really want to know how research works. And the second thing is being able to work independently, because whatever you do, uh, you're going to be on your own some of the time, and uh, we want things to keep moving. Um, so I would also add that conscientiousness is also important, like maintaining a strong sense of responsibility uh, from the start to the end of the experiment, especially after the research assistant have run um, a lot of repeated, uh, repetitive experiment trials. Yeah, and going off of what Manley said, I would I would say uh, reliability is a big one uh, for RAs. There's a lot of appointments to keep track of, and uh, especially when we're doing in-person testing, people are often showing up early in the morning. So having a an RA that can we can count on to to be there, uh, it plays a big role in giving them new projects. Also, communication skills like responding to emails promptly. These are really important uh, factors. Um, for successful relationships as well. Mm -hmm. Awesome, thank you for that. Um, let us now shift focus and talk about the next stage of the hiring process, the interview. So what is a common question that the Vision Lab asks during their RA interviews? And for this one, let's have Mr. Raymond, Dr. Veronica, Ms. Manlu, and Mr. Jamie go at it. So I'll start off um, with this one. So one of the things I like to ask uh, prospective RAs who are applying for a position in the lab is, well, why are you applying to the Vision Lab? Um, the reason I ask this question is because it speaks to the importance of curiosity and enthusiasm that Jim highlighted just a moment ago. Mm -hmm. So a student's answer to this question, what it will do is it can reveal how much that student is applying, well, just because they want to get into research versus having an actual genuine curiosity and enthusiasm for visual perception and attention. You know, that's not to say, of course, that just being, that just wanting to get involved in research in a lab is a bad motivation. Um, but if you can see that someone's really excited about your lab in particular, and in our case, um, what we study, visual perception and attention, you know, that's saying, okay, well, this person is, is really likely to be dedicated um, and enthusiastic about working here. Kind of picking up from what Ray said, I usually uh, tell about the projects that the research projects that I have, and I just look at the response, right? Whether it interests the candidate or not. And um, this is, my consideration is that um, fit in interests is really important and uh, by just um, the, the name of the lab vision lab can mean many things uh, so it is um, 
made more specific when I tell about the projects that are in studies that are going on. It's also useful to look at the publication list and maybe try opening a paper or two. It produces a good impression during the interview if you mentioned that. And also it really helps to realize whether what lab is doing is interesting for you because I believe that being interested in what you're doing as an RA is a big um, success factor for the whole RAship and for the for the whole experience on, on all sides. Um, mm -hmm. Awesome. Can I have Miss Manlu talk to us a little bit about the same? Yes. Um, so another question I usually ask um, for students who want to apply for RA is about their time commitment. So labs usually want research assistants who can balance their RA jobs and also their coursework. So it is important uh, that the RA can commit certain amount of time to the lab and um, it's also important they can keep their promise. Yeah, I would, I could add a bit to that. Um, I think one thing to keep in mind for potential RAs is that when you do get an interview, it's usually because we're looking for someone to work on a specific project. Um, so during the interview, we're going to talk a lot about uh, schedules just to make sure that you we have the time, both us and the RA has the time to, to commit to the experiment. Also, another thing good to prepare would be maybe like what your goals are. So if we can find someone with a good set of goals or interests that matches the project, uh, that's more likely to result in a successful interview. Um, also, uh, just kind of looking forward, we're always looking for RAs that can stay on for, you know, several terms or several years even. Um, it's always great for us to be able to keep working with somebody. So kind of looking towards the future is a, is a big factor as well in these interviews. Mm -hmm. Thank you for those insightful answers. Um, I quite liked your suggestion about reading an empirical paper or two from the Vision Lab, Veronica. Um, I think it speaks to the genuinity that Raymond was mentioning when RAs want to express their interest in a particular lab per se. Um, now, beyond mistakes that we make during the interview stage, what are other common mistakes that applicants tend to make just in general? Mr. Jamie. Um, I, I, mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I look through a lot of, as lab manager, I see a lot of these uh, applications as they come in. And I'd say one thing I would definitely recommend um, is make sure that you include a resume and a transcript when you apply. I think uh, Ray mentioned that earlier, but um, that always helps because uh, it lets us get a sense of like who you are. Um, also, it would be, it's always great to see a short paragraph just on your background and why you're interested in working at our lab specifically. Um, when we get applications that miss some of these elements, um, sometimes it, they just kind of get lost in the shuffle. So just making sure that you have the resume, the transcript, and a short paragraph on your interest uh, is important. Um, another tip I'd give is like be persistent. So uh, I see a lot of great applicants come at times when we just simply aren't hiring. Um, and as much as I'd love to keep a database and get back to people, it's not always possible. So if you don't land an RA ship when you first go, uh, feel free to check back in a few months. Uh, something might have changed. We might be looking then. Um, just from personal experience, I uh, when I was an undergrad, I applied uh, to a lab and didn't get an RA ship. And it took a full year. I asked a couple times, and it just turned out a year later they were looking, and that's how it started for me. So 
definitely, if you, there's a lab uh, such as ours that you want to get involved with, it pays to be persistent. Mm -hmm. Awesome tips, Jamie. Um, I think that is very valuable input because I hear that several applicants, um, I don't just hear, I experience too, that applicants often feel hopeless and inadequate after not getting hired despite the perfect resume on paper per se. And uh, just speaking to your personal experience, I too very recently have started off as an RA, but what worked for me too was persistence staying consistent and following up with them almost, like you said, for over a year. And it just happened that they were hiring last month. And so here I am today. Next, um, can the Vision Lab tell me who is the person? The person that all our applicants and all our listeners today are looking to impress when applying. Um, I have to answer that by saying it's actually not a person because every time I get an email from a prospective um, volunteer, I pass the inquiry around to the various project leaders. And so they're each looking for different things. And um, if someone's impressed, they'll make a, you know, a, a contact. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So this is just a note to ensure that you're not always um, exploring the principal investigators and their portfolios, but also looking at all the projects the entire lab is um, working on together. That's correct, yeah. Mm -hmm. Next, I wanted to know what would be the best time for our undergraduates to get in touch? So when does the Vision Lab hire typical RAs? There are two um, really uh, important periods. There's the August period just before September because um, you know, we have the HSP, the Human Subject Pool uh, in Psychology, and that begins in September. And so we want to get our projects ready for that. Uh, and then uh, in December, just before the beginning of the new year again, are the two main main times. By the time we get to um, May and June, our summer's already set. So it's really important to get there, you know, in December for the new year and in August for the new semester. Mm-hmm. So future applicants, you heard it. Summertime is your next chance to get to know this awesome bunch of people that I'm speaking to today. Now, for possibly the most evaded question so far, can we have the team elaborate on your future projects and when do you see the Vision Lab with another opening? Or even better, are you currently hiring? So um, we're all really eager to return to in-person testing. And so the answer to the question, when does that really begin, is the same question everyone in the world is asking. When does your life get back to normal? Mm -hmm. um, and so um, we, we can't give a definitive answer to that. But I know UBC is planning for uh, having in-person classes in September. And so we're planning to uh, start in-person lab testing again in September. So check with us in August. Awesome. And can I have Miss Manlu comment a little bit about the current research project that she's working on? Um, yeah. Um, so when the in-person um, in testing is available again, I have a um, research project which focuses on social interaction in groups. So I want to sort of investigate the role of personal characteristics such as dominance or submission and were low versus high needs for affiliation and in-group interactions. So when in-person research is available, um, maybe this research um, project would need a research assistant to help. Mm -hmm. That's great to hear. 
Um, can I also have Mr. Raymond tell us a little bit about his current work? Yes, absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm really much looking forward to getting back to the normal um, spin of things and having people people come in and I'm really looking to get uh, my project on visually guided reaching and grasping up and running again. Sounds exciting. Thank you for that. I just have one last lab specific question that I thought would add an extra edge to our discussion today. And this one's for Dr. Veronica and let's start with Dr. Veronica. So. Can you tell us a little bit more about your individual project and what do you find to be the most challenging part of conducting this project in a post-COVID world? Well, uh, my focus is on social perception and action coordination. That is about what visual information do we um, rely on to ensure that our communication with other people is efficient, right? How do we mind read through just visual cues before we start speaking? And how do we coordinate actions like, for example, lifting a table and carrying it to another place or even just not bumping into each other in a doorway when somebody is entering and the other person is uh, going out. So um, that is really challenging to study at the moment and it is really interesting how those studies will continue in post-pandemic world really depends on what that world is like but the uh, whole pandemic situation created great opportunities and opened many new questions in the field to study because for example we're now uh, looking at people whose uh, bottom part of the face is covered so we need and the bottom the, the mouth and nose provided really important cues such as smile and other facial expressions and the question of how we are perceiving nonverbal cues from other people is something has changed in the world and probably in, in the way we do it. Mm -hmm. um, and also the uh, amount of communication that we have virtually now uh, is another huge topic like how do we uh, what happens to nonverbal uh, communication on zoom uh, is a very puzzling question that i'm trying to address with new studies so there's uh, some ideas that are at the early stages right now that i'm trying to move with quickly as the world is in this interesting stage and uh I would say one of the big challenges is that a lot of studies need to be done online, which again, for social perception is a um, big challenge. Right. So. Yeah, it's almost counterintuitive when we're trying to do study social interactions and we're absolutely inhibited. Um, Dr. Enns, would you care to share a couple of words on your post-COVID world research and how things have changed? Well, just following up from what Veronica said, um, one of the big um, sort of um, thrusts that we've been doing in the lab over, over the past 15 years now is to move away from the sort of limited bandwidth, limited responses that you get from humans, like letting them press keys and making brief verbal responses. Instead, we're measuring their whole body responses. And so that, you know, COVID has wreaked havoc with that. But as Veronica points out, humans are incredibly adaptive. And so 
when you turn off some of their channels of information, they get really creative and start using other channels. And so um, that's really of interest to us as well. So I think COVID has been as inspirational as it's been problematic. Mm -hmm. Thank you both. It's just glad to hear that we haven't been entirely wiped out of opportunities due to COVID. Um, well, this was amazing. So during the time that I reached out to Dr. Enns to host this interview, he shared with me interesting anecdotes of students thriving besides adversity. This I thought would be, an would be interesting to share with our listeners today in light of the hopeful future we're all striving towards. So Dr. Enns, you now have the floor to talk to us a little bit about the type of students you've encountered over the years. Yeah, well, it was your question, Tanyana, that um, led me you know, back to look at the list of undergraduates who'd come through the lab over the last uh, over 25 years. Mm -hmm. And um, I was really struck you know, by um, uh, the success that they've had. So uh, just making a short list of students who I've written papers with and have written papers with postdocs and grad students um, is really quite astounding. And at the same time, I realized that many of these students had faced really difficult problems immediately after they left UBC. And so life isn't easy, even when we're not in COVID. So one of my favorite stories is um, Jamie, uh, he's called James now, but uh, Jamie Richards uh, did this great study with us back in the day, in the mid nineties on um, visual attention in elite hockey players, developing hockey players. And it's a paper that got really widely cited since then. Um, but so he left our lab and uh, went off to med school, you know, story of success, right? Well, his med school uh, happened to be on the island of Montserrat and um, it had an earthquake within the first month he was there and everyone from the island, including the medical school, had to, had to leave. So basically his, his education was destroyed in one fell swoop. And um, yet today he's a MD practicing rural medicine. He's a specialist in rural medicine in Alberta and he's done really well. And that's just a typical story of um, undergrads who've come through the lab. Wow. That's inspiring to say the least. And I think it speaks to the hope um, with or without COVID that our generation must be resilient towards. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so thank you so much, Dr. Enns and the entire team at UBC's Vision Lab. Thank you, Dr. Veronica, Mr. Jamie, Ms. Manlu, and Mr. Raymond. Um, yes, yes, thank you very much for having us. Okay, thanks for the opportunity. Of course, we were so glad you could join us today and I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion. I hope our listeners do too. Um, this concludes our special full team episode. And let it be known that you can catch the Labyrinth and today's discussion on whatever socials you like. That's right, we're on YouTube, Instagram, and Spotify for you to tune in whenever you like, may it be during your walk or in the shower. If you're watching this on YouTube, click that description to find out more info not that you'll need it, I hope, on how to get into the Vision Lab here at UBC. Finally, if you, if you already are on our favorite platform, Spotify, then be sure to follow us on YouTube too for some special video recorded content. This is me, Ananya Chava, signing off for The Labyrinth. Bye.